Hey, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. I just want to say thank you for joining us here online. It is our prayer today that today's message would be helpful and meaningful to your life. If you're in the South Atlanta area, I would personally like to invite you to come to one of our three services on Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 12 p.m. We're located at 4401 Highway 155 North in Stockbridge, Georgia. You may visit our website for more information at sccview.net. Again, that's sccview.net. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. Wow, all the good-looking people here today. Mm, just go ahead and nudge your neighbor and say, he's talking about me. Go ahead and tell him that right now. It's so good to see you. We're glad that you are here. We're continuing our series today called Words of Hope. And uh, in this series, we're talking about the words from the cross. Remember that Jesus, uh, on the cross, he's given these words. But before I talk about the word substitution, it really uh, brought to mind that most of us don't like substitutions. Uh, Ron and I got these Fitbits for Christmas. Anybody else get a Fitbit? Uh, got a Fitbit? Okay, yeah, there's several of us in here. Bit buddies, here we are. Uh, but anyways, all of a sudden it makes you start looking at calories and what's in food and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we tried to, you know, cut back a little bit. But what I want to tell you is I have discovered that they got something they call a veggie burger. Okay, I want you to know that's in contradiction in terms. It's called a hamburger for a reason, right? There's no such thing as a veggie burger. Uh, and so we found all these substitutions, you know, like, uh, like I, I do a shake a couple times a week uh, to try to get some protein. Uh, and then I, so I used to take a, a spoonful of peanut butter. I'm talking about a spoonful of peanut butter, put it in my shake and made it really good. Well, that was one of the things I figured out, you know, there's so much fat and I got to find a substitution. Now they make what's called peanut butter powder. Peanut butter powder. You put that in your shake, you know, and it's supposed to be as good. I can tell you this, it's not as good. It's just not. I mean, there's no substitution for that. And most of us, again, do not like substitutions. Uh, matter of fact, if, you know, if you had paid the money to go see a concert like Maroon 5 or Carrie Underwood, and all of a sudden Maroon 6 showed up, you know, or, or what we'd say, the, the group that I put down, Billy Bob's Banjos showed up, you know, then you wouldn't be too happy about that, right? Because you're expecting a Maroon 5 or uh, Carrie Underwood. And so most of the time, we don't like substitutions. Now, when I say the word substitute, I would dare that most of you would think the word teacher, right? Now, for me, I want to tell you, uh, because I enjoyed when we had substitute teachers at school. I don't know if anybody else enjoyed that or not, because that meant that, okay, yes, no serious work today, right? Uh, and then, uh, never mind. But anyways, I, I'll tell too much on myself if I go there. But there's one substitution I want to tell you that you should be happy about. And that is the substitution that Jesus was our substitute on the cross. In other words, we should have been there, but he died in our place. And today we're going to talk about the, what that substitution meant in our lives. And so we're going to look at the word substitute. Now, we're going to go right into the scripture in Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to find out here, when we start reading this, it's going to be real easy for you to think that when you read about the crucifixion in the Bible, or you hear about it at Easter... It's real easy to think that this was only like a 30-minute or an hour process, right? Because you can just read it so quickly and it seems so quick. 
But I want you to know that Jesus was on the cross for over six hours. Six hours on the cross. And so we're going to talk about a time span now at about 3 o'clock when it was getting to the end. So from 9 to 3, he was pretty much on the cross. And so we want to go right into this uh, verse here. In Matthew 27, it says, From noon until 3 in the afternoon. Would you read what's underlined out loud with me? Come on, let's read it together. You ready? Darkness came over. There we go. Darkness came over all the land. And so I want you to under, just highlight that in your mind. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Okay, there's, there's a couple of things I want to point out in this passage. The first one is that darkness come over the land. Again, it's three in the afternoon, it's a bright day, and I'm, when I say darkness come over the land, I'm talking about it got dark, okay? Like, like it's, you know, maybe, in our, maybe it's 11 o'clock at night, dark, okay? It's dark. Darkness come over the land for a couple of reasons. One is that darkness always symbolizes the judgment of God because God was judging our sins on Jesus on the cross. Number two is the other reason is because in, when the priest in the Old Testament would come in and they would bring, uh, the high priest would come in and, and present a sacrifice for God's people, he would always have to go behind this big curtain, which was darkness, and he'd present the sacrifice. And Jesus, of course, on the cross, was the ultimate sacrifice, so we don't have to do that anymore, and so darkness came over. A third reason is because it was so gruesome and so bad and hurt God so much that God could not look on sin, then God uh, did not want to see what was happening, and He allowed the world, the earth, to become dark. He, didn't want, he couldn't look at it. God looked away. And so those are the three reasons that darkness come over. So when we see this, you know, this, when we read this passage here, this is one of the most... Shocking passages in the whole world, the whole Bible, because Jesus talks about being forsaken and abandoned. He talks about being rejected. And, and listen, let me just say this. Many of you sitting here today know that there's no greater hurt in your life, I don't feel like, than being abandoned. Many of you have been abandoned by, you know, by your, your parents. Maybe you've been abandoned by a boyfriend or girlfriend. You've been abandoned by a spouse. Maybe you've been abandoned by a child. You know, uh, you know that feeling of abandonment, how hurtful it is. And here Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus has been abandoned. The last week of his life, look how it happened. Judas abandoned him. Remember, Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He abandoned him. And then when the, they come to get Jesus, the soldiers come in to get Jesus. Guess what happened? Well, all of a sudden, here we find that, that as these soldiers come in, the disciples, all of them, but John abandoned Jesus. He's left all along. Matter of fact, when he goes on trial, there's nobody there. Then we see now he's on the cross. And Jesus is sitting on the cross. And now we see that he's looking. And now God has abandoned him. He's forsaken. And so he's feeling all this emotion of abandonment. And remember, Jesus became our substitution on the cross. That's so important. Look at our memory verse here. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. I love this passage. It's really good. You want to hone into this. It says, For God took the sinless Christ... And poured into him our what? Our sins. He poured into Christ our sins on the cross. Now notice this. You got your pen ready. I want you to circle a couple words. You see, it says, then, would you uh, read these next two words out loud as you circle them? You ready? One, two, three. In exchange. Wow, that's powerful right there. That means that, that means I give you something, you give me something, right? In exchange. In exchange. Look at the exchange that's happening here. In exchange. He poured God's goodness 
into who? Us. Did you see that? Look at it again. Let's look at the verse again. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our what? Our sins. And then in what? Exchange, he poured God's goodness where? Did you see what happened on the cross? I mean, if you think the cross is not that big a deal, friend, you are missing it. On the cross, God took our bad and poured it out on Jesus, and he took Jesus' goodness and poured it out on us. That's how we can stand before God, because God sees the goodness of Jesus in us. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's awesome today. That's good news. Now, so we want to look at a couple things here. What does the word substitution mean? teach us okay it teaches us about three things i want to share them with you here we go number one it teaches us that god is holy would you write that down god is holy in in you know in uh when you read uh, about the greeks and the romans and about their gods you will see that their gods are very temperamental their gods have human flaws they they they're lustful they're arrogant you know they're inconsistent all those things when you read about the Romans and the Greeks' God. But the real God, the God that we serve, is not flawed. He is 100% pure, 100% perfect. And that's why God cannot look on sin, because He is so perfect. He is so perfect. Habakkuk, look at this with me on your outline. Habakkuk 1 and 13, it says, Your eyes are too pure to look on what? Evil. He's talking about God. You cannot tolerate wrong. That's why when we get to heaven, there will be no sin because God cannot look on sin. He can't stand sin. It, it hurts God to do that. So, Jesus took all of our evil, all of our sins of mankind, and He took them to the cross, and God the Father had to look away. Now, this is very, very interesting here as we look at this. The first time ever recorded in the Scripture, ever recorded in the Scripture, Jesus prays, and every time that Jesus prays to, to God, He always says, Father. Every time in Scripture when Jesus is referring to God and He's talking to God, He says, Father, every time, except for this one time. When He's on the cross, He does not say, Father. He says, My God, My God. Why have you forsaken me? But he's not just saying it like, he's not saying it like casually. He's screaming out like he's been abandoned, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he's doing. He's screaming it out. Now, why would he say that? Because at this moment, at three in the afternoon, when it went dark, it was God, has, he and Jesus have never, ever been separated at all. And at that moment, God separates himself from the Son. Why? Because the judgment of sin is on Jesus. See that? And God can't look at sin. So God had to turn away and he separated himself from Jesus. For the first time ever, ever in all of eternity has Jesus ever been separated from God. And you say, why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because, you see, Jesus was separated from God so you don't have to be. When, you, when Jesus was dying, he was separated from God, so at death, you don't have to be. He took all of our sins, and God turned his back on Jesus, abandoned him, so you don't have to be abandoned. Now, what does that mean? See, a lot of people are afraid today. They thought, you know what, I've got to live right for God because I don't want to die, and I don't want to go to hell. That's what people say, I don't want to go to hell. Well, let me tell you something. 
you know, hell is bad. Yes, there's fire, lake of fire and all this stuff you've been taught about it. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, all of that. But that's not the, that's not the biggest thing about uh, hell. What, what the Bible calls death is this. is not when you, when you take your last breath in your body and, you know, your body lays over because your spirit, your personality, the person that you are is going to go somewhere else. And, and if you have a relationship with God, as soon as you die, you leave this earth, you go right to your heavenly home, right there in the presence of God. But if you don't have a relationship with God, then you're eternally separated from God. And, and that pain is so horrible. That's why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because it was the separation. It was no longer the presence of the Father. And that's what makes, that's why we, you want to make sure that you're going to heaven with God because you want to be with God forever. And so Jesus was abandoned and separated from God so you don't ever, ever have to be. So that's good news for you. Listen, if you're a Christ follower today, that means that, that if, you know, if you, get, if you get hit by a bus, you drop over dead with a heart attack, you have an aneurysm, whatever happens, and you leave this world, as soon as your body goes down, that spirit inside of you goes up, and you go into the presence of God because Jesus died for your sin so that you never, ever have to be separated from God. So when you close your eyes, and as soon as you leave, take that last breath, you see a whole new world, a whole new heaven, and God himself is there to greet you. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good news? So listen, you should not be afraid to die if you're a child of God. You shouldn't want to. You should not be afraid of it, right? Now listen, I'm ready to go, but I don't want to go today. That's right. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that today. But I'm just telling you, when it's my time, and it's your time, and we feel like it's here, we, should not, we shouldn't freak out because we know that God's got this. Amen? Oh, it's so good. I don't have time to keep going on that. So, let's look at this next one. You ready? Number two, sin is ugly. Sin is ugly. I want to tell you why sin is so ugly. Let me, let me just back up. In our culture today... We accept sin because the world has taught us to laugh at sin. Anytime the world wants us to accept something that's outside of God's will, what they will do is begin to put it in matters uh, like in movies and television sitcoms and all that and make us laugh at it. And if we laugh at it, the more we laugh at it, the more acceptable it becomes in our, in our society and who, in our lives. And we become that way. The devil will use every tactic he can to make sin desirable and acceptable to you. Why? Because he knows that sin will harm you. God hates sin because it hurts you and it hurts me. It hurts everybody. You see, Hollywood doesn't show us the downside of sin, does it? It glamorizes it, right? I mean, it glamorizes the one-night stand, doesn't it? I mean, like, it, you know, in Hollywood, you can have someone, you know, meet someone on the sidewalk, go out for pizza, and then the next thing, they're spending the night together, and it's like happiness ever after, right? But that's not the truth. Hollywood doesn't show you all the broken hearts that James Bond leaves behind. It doesn't show you all the sexually transmitted diseases that happen. It doesn't show you the people that have to live in, in counseling for the rest of their lives because of, of those one mistakes that they made that, that God said don't do and someone glamorized it and made them feel like it was okay. It doesn't show you that side of it. And that's why God hates it. And today I want to challenge you 
you know, to understand, look at sin from God's side. Listen, no matter how much Hollywood tries to make us laugh at it, realize that someone's life is in jeopardy. You know the most jacked up people in the world are actors. You don't believe it? Look at the tabloids. Well, so-and-so has been married for six months now. They're getting divorced, and now they're going out with so-and-so and so-and-so. And then, yeah, you see what I'm talking about? It's just constantly messed up. Messed up. Okay, so when you want to see the dangers of sin, and you want to see what the destruction of sin and the effects of sin, then you just look at this picture. This is what sin does. Sin kills. That's why God hates it so much. He loves you so much because sin kills. And Jesus took our sins for us. But listen, He paid the price. And if, if you accept Him and receive His Spirit in your life, then you don't have to live beat up. But this is the way you look on the inside, if not necessarily outside, but inside you will be ripped to shreds because of sin. It kills. Okay, so right th three things I want to share with you. The cross shows three damages effects of sin. This is why, again, God hates it so much. He loves you so much. He loves me. Letter A, sin alienates me from God. God hates it because sin separates us from Him. It does that. It breaks the relationship. It puts distance between us. Look what Isaiah said. Isaiah 59 and 2. You got your pen ready? You ready? It says, it's, would you circle these next two words as we read them out loud? You ready? Here we go. Your sin. Let's say it again. You ready? Your sin. It's your sin that have cut you off from God because of, here it is again, let's read these two words as you circle them, your sin. It's your sin he has turned, uh, he has turned away and won't listen anymore. Listen, Rhonda and I have almost been married almost 29 years come July. 29 years. And uh, matter of fact, I, nobody has to tell me when she's mad. I mean, like, nobody has to say, hey, Jeff, your wife's mad at you. I mean, like, come on, I've been married 29 years. I know when she's ticked. I know. Like, I mean, you know, all of a sudden shuffling pans around in the house. Boom, 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 you know. Maybe things get louder. Maybe she just walks a little heavier. I better stop or I'll be sleeping on the sofa uh, right now. But nobody has to tell me that. And this is what I want to know. Nobody has to tell her when I'm mad at her. I mean, like, listen, you know, like, you ain't talking. What's wrong with you? Nothing. You know, nobody has to tell her those things. Because here's the deal, when I, and listen, when you've been married, the, the benefit of being married a long time, let me tell you what it is, is you get to know one another. And so you know what's going to set them off before you do it. And so when you set them off and you know it's going to set them off when you do this, then that definitely is a sin against them, right? And so, listen, and they don't change over time. It's still, what ticked them off five years ago still ticks them off 25 years later. And so if you know that and you do that, and you know, you know what's going to happen. Is there going to be a separation? As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes Ron and I have been mad at each other, and you could drive a semi right down the middle of our bed and not touch either one of us. Hugging the side. He ain't getting near you yet. Get away from me. You know? And so, uh, but what I want to tell you is that that's what sin does. And the same thing in relationship with God is that sin separates us. And Rhonda and I, our communication is broken down, you know, and we're separated until we have to confess one of us has messed up, or both of us. And it's the same with God. It alienates us. Okay, look at letter B. Sin makes me miserable. That's why God hates it, is it makes you miserable. You see, sin causes worry it causes fear, it causes anxiety, it causes all kinds of shame, it causes stress in every level, insecurity, all that. And many of us, listen, to deal with this, if you don't recognize the issue of it, you will try, you will try to drown it, you will try to drug it, or you will try to ignore it. 
That's the way society says handle sin, is don't confess it, but you just try to drown it, you try to drug it, or you try to ignore it. And the only problem is, is that when you get up with the hangovers over, your issue's still there. Your issue's still there. Look what the Bible says in Psalms 38 and 4. Would you get your pen ready and let's circle these first two words as we read them out loud. You ready? Come on, let's read them. You ready? My guilt. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. You see that? My guilt. It's my guilt. And listen, guilt will kill you, won't it? I mean, like it just sucks the life out of you. And here's the problem. The greatest source of stress in your life will always be is when you're at war with your Creator. Did you hear that? The greatest source of stress will always be in your life is that when you're at war with your Creator, when you're going opposite of God, that will always be the greatest source of stress in your life. And again, you can try everything you want to do to ignore it, but many of you, every one of you sitting in this room, you know what's right and wrong. And when you ignore that and you try to, to act in, half, uh, in spite of that, it, it eats you up. You're not the person that you want to be. Okay, letter C, write this down. Sin condemns me. That's why God hates it. When you violate God's law and your conscience, there's a penalty to pay for that. In Psalm 7 11, he picks this up. The psalmist said, God is a righteous judge and always condemns the wicked. Now let me explain the word righteous. What does that mean? That means that God always does what's right. And it's because God does what's right, because of God's justice, that we have, uh, what I would say is because we have, uh, evil is punished because God is right. Now, you say, you know what, why does God punish evil? Well, here's the deal. How many of you, you know, like, you know, when something happens to us, we want somebody to, to you know, we want to call the cops, right? I mean, if, if somebody burglarizes your house, somebody breaks into your house, and they steal your possessions, why would you call the cops? You want them to be caught and to be punished, right? I mean, just think if there was, if God did not do that, if God did not punish evil, we would have no moral code. That means that somebody could walk right into your house, burn it down, and say, you know what? And, and you go to the officials, and you go to the police, or you go to the judge, or you go to the governor, whoever, and you say, hey, somebody burned my house down, and I know who it was. It was this person. You tell them, here's the pictures. They, we got it all. They did it. And they say, well, you know, they're a pretty good person. We don't. We just don't punish things like that in our society anymore. You would be like, what? Are you crazy, man? Are you nuts? No, go arrest this guy right now. We're sorry. Yeah, that's their third one this week. And, you know, they'll be all right. They'll get over it. You see how that would run rampant if there was no one to call us in for our, our wrongdoing? And God knows that if we're not held accountable, we as people will annihilate each other. And ourselves mainly. So that's why God does it. And let me just tell you something. You ask this question. Is there anything that God hates? Absolutely. God hates sin. You know why? Because sin destroys you and it destroys me. And we have to deal with the consequences. God hates it. Listen, and God hates it when children are abused. God hates it when children are molested. God hates it when women are raped. He hates it when innocent people are murdered. God hates sin. And sin should, you should hate sin too. It should make you angry. Now let me just say this, listen. Either you're going to hate sin and love people, or you will love sin and you will hate people. But you can't have it both ways. Because sin will make you abuse people. It will make you mistreat people. 
And so I want to tell you today, so we, we in the church, what do we do? We love people and hate sin, right? Why? That's why we can see a person as a sinner and love them, but hate what they're doing because it's harming them. We hate sin and love people. And so that's what God teaches us to do. Look what the Bible says in Romans 6 and 23. You ready to get your pen ready? I want us to read the third word out loud, and I want you to circle it. You ready? Here we go. For the wages of sin is what? Would you circle the word wages? That means something that you earn. If a person continues to sin, guess what? That sin will cause death in their life. It'll cause death to their relationships. It'll cause death to them physically. It'll cause death. Sin. Listen, you do not keep on sinning without its effects. It does cause literal death in our lives if we continue it up. Uh, whether it be, like I said, relationship or physical death or emotional stresses. So for the ways of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he's saying is that your biggest problem is not financial. Your biggest problem is not emotional. Your biggest problem is not physical. Those are only symptoms. You know what the biggest problem is? The biggest problem is when you sin, you're at war with God. And friends, your arms are too short to box with God. Amen? You agree with that? Why are you at war with God? Because you're doing something that God will not bless, and, and therefore you're hurting yourself. Sin hurts you. It kills you. You know how it is, you that are parents here today, when your kids do stuff that you tell them not to do, and you watch them do that, and you know the end result, you know the outcome already. Don't play in the street. Well, you know what? We're going to play in the street. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Somebody gets hit by a car, right? And then, you know, don't do this. And then this happens, you know, don't, you know, don't have sex outside of marriage. You know, what happens? And all of a sudden, there's all this baggage to deal with the rest of your life. And so with parents are going, listen, please don't do that. You're not telling them not to do that for you because you don't want to see them hurt. Is that right? As a parent, is that right? You don't want to see them hurt. And so this is what God is saying. He doesn't want to see us hurt. Okay, would you write down this? Number three, salvation is costly. It is costly. Again, you get ready for this. Here we go. Romans 3.25. I want, you to, I want us to read the, the second and the third word out loud. You ready? Here we go. For God... Would you circle those two words? God sent. God sent Christ to take the punishment for our sins. And ready? Uh, I want you to read what's underlined. And to... Wow, I want you to read that a little bit louder and get a little more excited about that. You ready? Come on. And end. Aren't you glad about that? Listen, for those of you that thinks God's mad at you, you're wrong. Listen, he took his anger out on Jesus, so he didn't have to do that. Remember, Jesus took the anger for us, and God gave us the goodness of Jesus on us. The sin went to Jesus, the goodness went to us. So when God looks at you, He still looks at you with the eyes of love, no matter what you've done, where you've been, God loves you. He's not, ang He's not mad at you, He's mad about you. That's why you still get convicted over sins, because God wants to draw you back in to a relationship with Him. He doesn't want to hurt you. The world, that, what is the world? The world is, is anyone that says there is, acts like there is no God. It just cuts God out of their philosophy of life. And the world will tell you, live like you want to, but they won't tell you the consequences. God says, live like this, and you'll have a great life. You'll have a great life. Matter of fact, um, 
It reminds me of story, a story that I read because this, God actually shows justice. He says, I'm going to judge sin, but I'm going to show you mercy. He sent Jesus to pay for our sin. There was a story that I read a, uh, a couple weeks ago. It's about two guys that told to be true in New York that actually they grew up together and, uh, you know, they were all in sports together, did everything together. They went to college together. They were just best friends. And then after they graduated college, they, their tracks went two different ways. One of those guys that went on and became a judge, and the other guy actually began to, to get in behavior that he shouldn't and uh, found himself addicted to, to cocaine. And so he, was, he got caught doing some fraudulent things to earn money to pay for his habit. Well, lo and behold, as, as, as things would work out, one day his best friend, who was the judge, all of a sudden had a case come up, and it was his best friend who was coming before him because of all the fraud that he has done, and there was a high penalty. And so the question was, what is the judge going to do now? What is he going to do? Is the judge going to, you know, let him off, let him off light because everybody knew this is his best friend? And this is what the judge did. The judge stood up. He gave the ruling. He gave the highest penalty, the highest fine that he possibly could give for that crime. He laid it on him. And everybody was like, whoa. You know, he normally doesn't give his worst enemies this kind of this kind of treatment he laid it on him as hard as he could and then after he gave the justice the judge stepped down took off his robe and went beside his friend and he pulled out his checkbook and he paid that unbelievable fine that his friend might have mercy and let him go because of his love for his friend the judge showed justice and mercy God today shows you justice and mercy through Jesus Christ. Isn't that great news? Come on, let's give God a hand for that. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to give you a couple of things here. You ready? Get your connection card out because we're going to talk about them. So everybody get it out. So I knew I'd be running a little bit behind here, so I went ahead and filled in the blanks for you. Just circle some words. The first thing it said, what, what should be my response to what Jesus did? Here we go. Four things. Number one, Turn from my sin. Would you circle my sin? Turn from my sin and trust Jesus to save me. I want you to think about something just a second. I want, to think, I want you to think about the sin that you're most ashamed of that you've committed in your life. Every one of us have one. And what I want you to do is think, as you think about that, I want you to understand this, that Jesus died for that sin and it's been forgiven. And here's what I want you to know. When you've been forgiven... You see, when you live forgiven, then you don't have to keep reliving it. Did you hear that? When you live forgiven, you don't have to keep reliving what you did in your past. Isn't that awesome? So you can stop reliving what you did because it's been forgiven. So, so anytime that thought comes to your mind, the devil is bringing it. If you've asked God to forgive you for that, he's forgiven it, and Jesus paid for that on the cross. And so you can still look confidently at God and know that he doesn't even see that anymore because why? Your sin was taken out on Jesus, that anger for that sin, and God lets the goodness of Christ rest on you. So when you say, God, I'm sorry for that sin, guess what? You are forgiven, and you don't have to keep reliving it. You don't have to keep rehashing it before God. I'm matter of fact, if you keep asking God to forgive you for the same thing that you've done 10 years ago, or 5 years ago, or 25 years ago, I'm going to tell you, stop. You're wasting your breath. Because the first time you said, God, forgive me for that, He forgave you. Wipe the slate clean. He doesn't remember anymore. You are forgiven. Isn't that great? 
Man, you should be singing free at last. Hallelujah, you're free. Now here's the other thing I want to tell you. Hebrews 10.26 says this. Got your pen ready? If we deliberately, would you circle that word deliberately? Keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Now this is important. People won't tell you this. But listen, there's a lot of people in our culture today that say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet they're walking the opposite direction of God. There is a difference between committing a sin and living in sin. Okay? The Bible says this, listen, if God is this direction, if God is this direction, this is what living, this is what living for God and committing a sin looks like. You've asked God to save you. God's in this direction. You're walking in this direction, but something happens and you make a mistake. You, you sin against God. You've turned this way. You realize that sin and you say, God, I'm so sorry for that against sin. I don't want to ever do that again. And you start walking back toward God. That's committing a sin. See what I'm saying? All of us in this room live that life because we all commit sins we have to ask God to forgive for. Amen? Am I by myself? Oh, am I by myself? Okay, that's what I want to make sure of. But living in sin does this. Is when you turn around and you say, God, I want you to be my Savior, but God, I know you don't like this, and I know I shouldn't do it, but God, you know my circumstance, so God, I've got to live like this, and I'm sorry. I know what you said, but I, I can't help that. You know, this is the 21st century, God, and this is the way it is, and so, Lord, I'm sorry. and uh, I'm not really sorry, God, because I really know I want to live like this, and you you'd made me this way, and da-da-da-da-da. That person is living in sin because they refuse to commit, confess their sin, so they're walking away from God. See what I'm talking about? So there's a difference between living, committing a sin, right? And like, you know, we all do that and we have to turn back. But when you just say, and I, this is the way I am, and I know what your Bible says, and I, ain't, I don't care. I'm going this way. Then that person, the Bible says, there is no more sacrifice available to them. And that person is not going to go to heaven. But the good news is that this person can turn at any moment. And they can say, oh, I'm, God, I get it. I'm sorry. I've been walking over here. I'm coming back. And guess what? They're right back in relationship with God. Okay. So what I want you to do is there's a prayer inside of your program. I'd like for you to take that. I want everybody to take their program out. And I'm going to read this prayer because there's many people here today that may not have a relationship with God. You've been walking the opposite direction. And today's the day that you get to get it right. And so I want to, this prayer is only a God. And if you mean it in your heart, then God will save you. Look what it says. Look, read it with me. And if, you need, and if you need to be saved today, restored relationship, you can say this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a hand for the people that just come to, to God? Amen. Hallelujah. Now listen, if you read that prayer and you meant it in your life, on the back of this card there's a box that you can check that says, I pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today. I'll give you a couple more things real quickly. Number two, live in a state of gratitude. You see, it's hard to live in a state of rebellion when you're grateful for what somebody's done. And so I would just say this, on your connection card there's a box that says this, I'll do my best to thank God for Jesus every day. You see, if you're constantly thanking God for what He's done for you, then it's hard to sin against Him. And so, just check that box. Say, I'm going to do my very best to do that. And then number three is this. It says, when tempted, remember what my sin cost Jesus. 
Don't ever forget that picture that we showed. Remember that when you're about to sin. Remember what God did for you. And it'll help you from stepping over the line. And then number four, you ready to get your pen ready? I want you to circle these first two words as we read them out loud. You ready? Come on, let's read them. Tell others. Tell others about the good news. And so I have a box on your card, that, uh, on your connection card that says, I will pray for God to give me opportunities to share about Jesus. Would you do that? Check that box. Now, you say, Pastor, why is that? I'll tell you why. Because there's people that are dying. There's people in our community right now that are sitting home. They have no idea what Jesus has done for them. But they know they're under attention. They're stressed. And they know things aren't going right. They know the world seems to be falling apart. They're scared and afraid. They don't know what to do. They don't know the hope in Jesus. And it's your job and it's my job to go out and tell them, why is the church that we keep reaching out? Because people need to know Jesus. Do you agree with that? That people need to know Jesus. People are going to die without Jesus. People are going to live stressed without Jesus. People need to know Jesus. So love compels us to go. We go, we go. Would you stand with me now? See, we have this power living inside of us. Once you become a believer, you have a power inside of you. It's God's power. You can't resist sin on your own. But when you're weak, He makes you strong. When you're frail and you think you can't go another step, it's God's power that comes down and delivers you, gives you the hope that you need, the strength that you need. Amen? Come on, somebody put your hands together. Hallelujah. Father, we love you right now in the name of Jesus. God, we receive your power. We receive your spirit, and we walk in it in the name of Jesus. When I am weak, you make me strong, Lord. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.